browser. Great. Well, good morning, everybody. It's awesome to be with you this morning again and uh, appreciate the opportunity to share the Word of God. I've been enlarged too, just being here. Love it. It's wonderful when we come together. And uh, we love the gifts, but we love the giver of the gifts, Jesus Christ. What an incredible king. And appreciate again, Tim and the team, just for leading us. It's no question what we're about. It's about Jesus Christ. And things happen when we exalt the name of Jesus, right? Things happen, whatever. The whole thing of when we walk in the room or when he walks in the room. I love that. I'm not, I, that's, I love the truth of that song, but I'd struggle with two things. When he walks in the room, because he's here. And Darren addressed, again, I don't have an issue with that. And also I give you permission. I understand that we can and do allow God to be God, but God doesn't need our permission for anything. And this God who created and God who spoke and said, let there be, and there was, gives us the opportunity not to embrace what He wants to do. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I'm just telling you, if I was God, you would do exactly what I'm saying, when I say it and how I say it. And that's one of many reasons well, I am not God. <laughs> but this God who can do anything, who spoke us into being, created us, gives us the right to say no to Him. And that just overwhelms me. That's grace on steroids. And uh, I don't want to reject anything God is saying or doing. And I just love the, the notion of the position of where Christ is. I'm a diehard sports fan. I'm sorry, I'm confessing my sins here. This is church. I love sport, any sport. Aussie rules, great sport. Uh, cricket, soccer, football, you, whatever, you name it. Uh, how many of you love sport? Be honest, this is church. If you don't, you need deliverance. And in heaven, well, you're going to watch us enjoy some sport. But anyway, I'm only joking, Russ, sorry. My the our resident theologian here. But he loves sport too, I know that. He got me hooked on some of the sports I'm hooked on. But... The thing I want to say is when your team wins a season, whatever sport that is, it's the most amazing thing for your team that you support out of all these other teams, and they win the whole thing, and they win the cup, the Super Bowl, or whatever it is. It's, it's such a cheer, such a celebration. But do you know that probably for five minutes, there is a celebration, we have the cup, we are the champions. But five minutes later, but certainly the next morning, Okay, Siri, thank you very much. I didn't ask you what the time is, but anyway. But five, literally the next morning, that team that holds the trophy realizes they now have to prepare to win it again. Someone's out there to try and take it from us. And the thing I want to tell you about this resurrected king, this finished work of Jesus, it's uncontestable. It's happened, finished. No one can contest it. It doesn't happen again. It's finished for eternity. Those who come against it will never, ever take the finished work of Jesus away. And that's got to give us faith and courage that Jesus Christ has done it all. It's settled. It's finished, uncontested. And that gives me such hope. And I trust you in all that we are, all that He's called us to, being the church in Launceston is wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus. We don't have to do stuff that we can't do without Him. It's what He's called us to do. And I love that so very much. If you've got a Bible, quickly go with me the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. And I do have some notes, I think. I'm, they're wonderfully going to put them up. I, I must give, let you know that I probably won't get to any of that out there. I'm going to try, but I'm just giving you a heads up. Don't get so focused on the notes because I'm probably going to say things that are not in there. But I'm trying, all right? I'm trying to stick to the notes. Uh, but, but I want to talk a little about the marks of true kingdom ministry. And I, I'm certainly not an expert. As I said last night, we're not here to be experts and tell you what to do. We're on a mission together, this journey. And we're wanting to serve God together. And we're all on this journey. And we want to learn from each other. But most of all, we want to learn from God. And we want to learn from His Word. And so I'm not coming with ideas and concepts. I'm not coming with great stories that tell you how awesome we are. I'm here to speak the Word of God to us. And how we respond to God's Word determines what God can do in, with, and through us as we embrace the season that's upon us. And last night, we, we kind of simply try to lay out something of the big picture understanding of what it is we're called to and how all these things that we get so focused on are centered, the significant comes in the centrality of Jesus Christ. 
everything we are and do is centered around Christ. And if we separate from that, we actually lose the value of everything we're involved in. And one of the points I made was about the kingdom. And I want to share a little bit about the kingdom of God, if that's okay, and talk about some of the true marks of kingdom ministry, which we're all involved in, not the preachers and pastors. The church is about the kingdom of God. You and I who are saved here this morning are all about the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of the kingdom that we call to minister and preach. It's living out the, the rule and reign of God. And if I can just say, we can't give them what we haven't got. And so this morning in this room, we need some surrendering. We need some ruling and reigning of God in our lives so we can bring something of that out there. We love to talk about the people out there, but God has a people, His people, the vehicle, the church, as advances of the kingdom. And in saying that, we've got to surrender our hearts and continue to allow the rule and reign. I wonder what areas in our lives this morning does God have reign and rule and others where He doesn't. The good stuff. And the bad stuff, the stuff we love and the stuff we don't like, He wants it all. And as we surrender, that's where we find our significance, the rule and reign of God, healing. Um, Mary got up here and prophesied about some guy's inheritance being marked out. That's the rule and reign of God. Uh, all of us get to live in the freedom of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And our role here, I believe, is to advance the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you the kingdom of God is all about increase. It says of the kingdom of God, there will be an increase. There will be no end to this kingdom, but there's an ever increasing. So I want to suggest to us this morning that this kingdom is about increase, not decrease. We must decrease and He must increase, but the government must increase the rule and reign of God in our lives and wherever we are. I also want to say the kingdom of God is about impact. God is about impact, uh, not just numbers as we talked about. It's about impacting. How much impact are we having on people around us? How much, we've often been challenged by this. If the church that you're part of was to close down today, would the city even know you're no longer there? And not because there's a building for sale, or not because there's an empty facility, it's because the impact you are having on the city is no longer there because you're no longer there. That's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. And also I want to say the kingdom is about influence. We are here to influence the world, friends. They're not there to influence us. And the kingdom is about impact and increase and influence. And I, I do believe if you read Scripture, you'll see that Jesus has always desired for His church to be proactive. Always desired for His church to be front-footed. Always desired for His church to be taking ground, not holding ground, taking ground. Give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16. I will build my church and I give you the keys of the kingdom, not to the kingdom. Jesus is the key to the kingdom. He is the entrance point into the kingdom. But He's given us the keys of the kingdom. Which I believe means we get to administrate and activate His kingdom here on earth, the keys of the kingdom. Keys speak of influence. Little keys open big doors. Whoever holds the keys has impact and influence. And so I do believe it's about taking ground. But I, I'm going to just hopefully step on toes and somebody's wearing their boots so they don't, from last night, say they're going to wear boots this morning so they don't uh, steel cap boots. So that's great. But I'm sure we'll all have our toes step on anyway. But, but here's the thing I, I'm realizing, and again, friends, not an accusation and observation, is that the church at times begins to fall into maintenance mode. We get busy being church, doing church, gathering, and busy with the things. I said yesterday, the devil hasn't been given power to distract, destroy us. He's been given power to distract us. And the way he destroys us is by distracting us. And I think often the church just seems to go into maintenance mode rather than understanding we're front-footed, we're to be taking ground and be active. And so a couple of things about maintenance mode. I think when we slip into it, slip, it's like... A slippery slope. It's not a one-off. It's just suddenly we begin to maintain. And I think when we are maintaining, then the upkeep of the church actually distracts us from advancing the kingdom of God. If you talk to most pastors and leaders today, they're so busy taking care of the church, taking care of people, that we've stopped advancing the kingdom. It's keeping the church happy, keeping the saved saved, rather than understanding the church's role 
is actually to advance the kingdom of God. I think, again, the church then, when we're in maintenance mode, church membership becomes a right rather than a responsibility. If I come to your church, what's in it for me? Great question, wrong question. (laughs) What will you do for my family? And I love the questions, but somehow we think there's a right rather than understand. If I come and be knitted in where God wants me, what's my responsibility as a member in His church? Rather than what do I get? Rather, how do I give? What can I give? You know, friends, I love partnership. And I've said that before. And I, I, uh, I think that we cannot do life without partnership. God intended partnership. The greatest partnership we'll ever have is partnership with God. The second partnership we have is in this gospel partnership that we're part of. And Paul says in Philippians 1, I thank God uh, for this partnership, this koinonia that we have. This gospel partnership that we have in getting the gospel, this partnership, getting the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then I love the individual partnership that we all have in each local church, everyone playing a role. But you know, when my wife and I, Nicole, got married 22 years ago, um, I was in ministry, full-time ministry, as in leading a local church, in a local church. I was on this translocal team and I uh, met my amazing wife, and I was like, gee, she needs to actually know what it's like, going to be like to be married to this man of God and coming and joining me in this ministry I've been given. And, and so what I decided was I need her to sit with someone who's going to tell her how to be married to a man like me. And there's this great couple on our leadership team, on our, on our team, still to this day, Leon and Pat, many of you know them. They're actually based in Darren's Church in Adelaide. They've been married for like 150 years or something. They are not quite, but almost. And They love each other. He's actually very old now, and he walks with a walker, but he still holds his wife's hand. And I just want to say, hey, dude, if you let go of your wife's hand, you could actually walk a little better. But they love each other. I don't know how many years they've been married, but a lot. So I thought this would be a great couple to talk to my wife about how to love this man and serve and submit to this great leader that he is. And so we met together, and we sat down, and uh, Leon looked at me, and he said, Tyron, you're getting married because you're selfish. And Nicole, you're getting married because you're selfish. And because of that, this marriage cannot work. Now let me tell you, that's not the convo I wanted him to have with her. Or maybe her, but not me. And he said, every marriage that is entered with what I can get. Tyron, you are getting married for what you can get from Nicole. And Nicole, you're getting married for what you can get from Tyron. And because of that, this marriage can't work. He said, the only way for this covenant, this partnership, this truth to work is that you, Tyrant, have to go into this marriage asking, what can I give to Nicole? And Nicole needs to ask, what can I give to Tyrant? And when we enter covenant and partnership like that, all in, not half in, I'll try this marriage thing, but I'm going to keep my options open. All in. How can I serve? What can I give? When you go into a covenantal partnership like that, it can only work. That's for marriage. That's for ministry. That's with our partnership with God. And may I suggest God is all in. He isn't holding back. He isn't holding off. He isn't keeping us at a distance. He's given and done everything that can be done for this partnership to work. The question for you and I is, are we all in? And are we on the take? Are we coming in saying, how can I serve? And yes, I can receive, but what can I give? And we join local churches, not what do I get out of you? Rather, how can I serve with you? And pastors are, how can we serve God by serving each other? And churches are connected together. How can we serve together to get the gospel? What, not what do I get if I partner with you? What can I bring? My people, my resources, not for a ministry, for the king and for his kingdom. Can you imagine if churches began to function like this? Not in head, but in heart and reality. Can you imagine Launceston? Can you imagine Tasmania? Can you imagine Australia? It would be different, friends. I'm telling you it would be different. Having led the church in this country, it would be different. And I'm not just talking about Australia. I'm talking about the whole world. I wonder where you and I are this morning in this all-in, in this covenantal relationship. Are we slipping into maintenance mode? And what do I get if I come to the church? What do I get this morning if I'm here? You get a whole lot, but more than that, what can you bring? What can we do together for the King? 
to maintenance mode, slip in. How do I, what can I get? I feel like we need to adjust. Kingdom's not about what I get. Kingdom's about how do I be involved in this incredible mandate here on earth to see the advancement of the kingdom of God everywhere we go. And he uses us, me and you. And I wouldn't use me and I certainly wouldn't use you, but God says I choose you to I trust you with my kingdom. Man, I love that. You know, friends, here another thing about maintenance mode is that when we slip into maintenance mode, worship becomes our weekly buzz rather than a catalyst for our mission. When we slip into maintenance mode, our decisions become safe and domesticated rather than bold and gutsy. Our prayers become fleshy. Bless me, I need, give me, rather than kingdom focused. And leaders, when we are in maintenance mode, leaders become religious service providers rather than mission mobilizers. And preaching, have you heard about that? Preaching becomes a form of entertainment rather than a battle cry. That is the church today. Discipleship, which is now a buzzword again, discipleship becomes a sanctified version of self-help rather than a recruiting and training to serve on the front lines. And the Bible, if we even believe it today, the Bible becomes a stimulus for self-exploration rather than a summons to join in God's global and for me, the most tragic of maintenance mode is this. Jesus becomes a mild means of self-fulfillment rather than a conquering king who summons us into his service. Friends, needless to say, maintenance mode means death to the church that Jesus is building. And this is not an accusation, and this isn't a point of finger. This is simply the strategy of the enemy to get us busy with church at the expense of understanding the kingdom. So how do we fix it? Well, I want to suggest we've got to center our lives and our ministries and our churches and everything we are and everything we'll ever be back on the revelation of Jesus, which we talked a lot about last night, and the big picture of who he is and what he's called us to. The devil's strategy, and can I, I know this is going to sound a bit harsh, but it's not. Even on this island, the strategy of the enemy will get us to focus on our island, on our thing, our town. Our, and that's important, but it's not the big picture. And we've got to get the big picture functioning so we will function in all that God has. Not when we get our, big, our picture right, we'll get to big picture. We've got to keep on focusing on the kingdom, the king and the kingdom. And that, I believe, helps us influence and impact the regions around us. And so this morning, as we look to the kingdom, make sure we're not functioning in maintenance mode. God's addressing us and arresting our hearts, mine too, saying, are you focusing on what I'm doing or are you doing your thing and hoping I'm in it? The question is not what is God's will for our church. The question is not what is God's will for our lives. Everyone asks the question, but can I suggest the wrong question? Because what we're simply saying is, what is God's will for my life? Meaning, what, how does God fit into me? Pastors who ask the question, what is God's will for our church? What we're saying is, what is, how does God fit into our church? Can I suggest the question should be, what is God's will? And not for some prophet, from the Word of God. And how does my life fit into God's Word? Secondly, what is God's will for the church? Not my church, His church. And how does the church I'm part of and the church I'm leading fit into the will of God? Then we'll always stay big. NCMI, this team that I lead. It's not what is God's will for NCMI. Because let me tell you, then I can pick and choose as the leader. And I've got great gifts and these gifts that Russ talked about earlier. Man, these five gifts, you try work with five gifts that are so different by gifting and by God-given grace. Because with your gift comes a grace that the other gifts don't have. And so they irritate each other just by the makeup of who God called them to be. And I lead this team of these gifts. And they can't work together if they're not functioning for the reason God put us together. 
I mean, if you're an evangelist, you're sitting in this room right now saying, what are we talking about? All these people are going to hell while we sit here and talk about Jesus. Let's get out there and help these people. Great, yes, but we need to talk about Jesus. The pastors here are probably, I wonder how my sheep are. I'm so glad that all my sheep aren't here because if they're hearing this, they'll be offended. If you're a a, a teacher, you're flicking through Scripture, making sure everything that's been said is in the Bible, and we need that. If you're an apostle, you're like, people, we need to go break open regions and get on with this job, whatever you're giving. And there's this grace that comes with it. And guess who gave those gifts? Jesus. What for? For the church. God given. And they function, only can function together if it's for the big picture understanding. We need each other. All gifts are needed for this church to be strengthened, encouraged, and equipped for the job God's called us to. And that's why we need the gifts to come in and be sent out so the church can be built up and edified and equipped for the task. But it's not for the church, it's for the kingdom of God. Big picture is what we're about. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and the heading is the fall of Jericho. You've heard of that? I often have preached on Jericho, but I've gone to chapter 6. But actually, it starts in chapter 5. Look at this, verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Now, can I just suggest... Leaders need to understand their role in the kingdom is we are soldiers and shepherds. If we're kingdom, we're not just shepherds, we're soldiers. And Joshua was a soldier and a shepherd. And I think because of his soldier and shepherd heart, he's out there knowing there's a city that is fortified. There's a city that there's no way to get in and no way out. It's this double-walled region that no one can get in. And so he's no doubt out there praying and strategizing like a good leader would with a heart to say, we've got some battles ahead and also with a shepherd heart. How are we going to do this? And he encounters a man with a sword that's drawn. Now that's weird for us today, but not weird for those days because battle, when a man's standing with a sword drawn, he's there to fight. So Joshua goes up to him like a good soldier shepherd would, doesn't recognize who this guy is, and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? Good question, right? I mean, great question. I need to know, are are we fighting you or are you fighting with us? Just tell us so we know where we're going. And here's the response of this man who happens to be Jesus Christ. Not an angel, because they were, he fell and worshipped. Angels, we don't worship angels, friends. I hope you don't worship an angel, only Jesus. And angels, and people say, don't worship me. Stand up, I'm just a man, I'm just an angel. No, no, this was Jesus. <laughs> okay, so anyway... <laughs> He says, neither. He's not a politician. I'm not on your side. Now listen, please hear this. This is such truth for me to understand big picture. God before us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, who can be against us? Great, but he didn't say, I'm on your side. Jesus looks at this man and says, I'm not on your side and I'm not on your enemy's side. I want to stop and say, well, hang on. This is the inheritance you promised to the Israelites. This is the inheritance that you said is theirs and they must go take it. So of course you're on their side. He didn't say that. I'm neither. I'm not here to take sides. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm here to take over. Why? This is not your battle. This is not your fight. This is my battle. And here's the question. Are you on my side? This is not cliche. I ask you this morning. Not is God on your side. Are you on God's side? It changes everything. Because, I mean, we squeeze God into what we're doing. Oh, God, just bless our church. We hope we do what you call us. Bless our ministry. Bless my marriage, my family. Great prayers. But actually, not God, choose my side. God, am I still on your side? It means I've got to assess how I lead this team. Not God was with us. Are we still on His side? Are we still doing what He wants us to do? Are we still hearing from Him on how to go about the business He's called us to? Are we so good at what we do? We're just trusting and hoping God's in it as we carry on doing our thing and asking God to bless it. And look at the response. It says, And Joshua fell face down. To the ground in reverence, and he asked him, 
What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. See, I believe God's wanting to continually remind us, even here in this room today, that what we're a part of is sacred and holy. The stuff we do is divine. The battles we fight, the people we lead, the consequence, everything we do. And God wants to remind us again and again, this is mine. Are you still part of what I'm doing? And here's the strategy. Get on your knees and worship me. And God gives him a strategy that worked only for Jericho once. But it didn't come from a podcast or a book from South Korea or whatever it is you're looking for or Bethel or wherever else you're looking. It came from a download from heaven because it's God's battle and God has a way. But it comes from a place of on your knees. Realizing this is sacred. Don't mess with it. I think we're so good at messing with it because we're so good at what we do. I want to tell you, God has rescued my wife and I many times in the ministry we call to because when opposition comes and people want us to change and become more of this and reinvent ourselves and all the great lingo, we never invented this. So why would we reinvent this? And if you invented this, you best stop right now because it's no longer God, it's you. But if it's God's, we just got to keep going back to what God said and make sure it's still God's. I mean, you've heard the story, I'm sure, Exodus 3, another story of a burning bush, a divine call. What happened? Moses sees a bush on fire. He goes over to it and says, sees a bush on fire, but it's not burning. And he says, and he says, take off your shoes. Holy ground, sacred call. I've heard the cry of my people and I'm sending you. This is sacred, not a good idea, not a concept, not try some things. I'm, this is holy and I'm commissioning you to take them out of and take them into are you there? Joel, already this morning, Isaiah 6. My son got up here and read that Isaiah 6. Do you know the revelation of Christ? And you know that text in Isaiah 6, or Isaiah 6? Do you know what that text is about? That's a prophet. How many of you know a prophet needs to hear the word to speak the word? And so in the year that King Uzziah died, this good king who became bad is now dead. And now there's a tailspin in a sense for the nation. And this prophet goes to God to hear a word so he can declare it to the people. And God doesn't give him a word. God shows him Jesus. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord highly exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and I fell to my knees and said, woe is me. Amazing if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah. Woe is you, woe is you, woe to you, woe to you, see Christ. Woe is me. We need some woe is me, church. The way to do that is to keep this thing sacred and sanctified. Otherwise, we're judging the world rather than trying to reach out and save the world. For I have seen the king and my eyes have seen him. And he said, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with those who are unclean. Not only do I see my dirtiness, I see the world around me. And what happens? The Lord comes and doesn't leave him there. He comes and he touches his lips, makes him clean. And the commission then comes, divine. This is not an idea. This is a divine call. Who will go for us? And who can I send? And he said, here am I, send me. See, we start with the here am I send because we've got a mission. No, no, it starts with the revelation of him because when we see him, we are motivated out of need, but also because we understand this is sacred, friends. And I'm trying to say this morning, the kingdom is sacred. It's not our thing. We don't mess about with it. We get our hands off it. We keep it sacred. I wonder if it's still sacred for you and I this morning. Regardless of your role, is it sacred? Because God wants us to know it's sacred. Keep it pure. Get your hands off it. It gives it significance to what we do. The people we see, the coffees we have. Everything has significance when we see it as sacred. But there it comes boring and my thing when I make it mine. And the question this morning, is it still God's? Are you on His side? I mean, the Great Commission is probably the most quoted text in our ranks because we believe in the Great Commission. I even shared a bit about last night. But we start in usually verse 18 of chapter 28. But verse 60... 
tells us that his disciples came and worshipped him. The Great Commission was birthed out of worship, reverence, and awe because it's a divine thing. And he looks up and he sees this amazing, and he's worship, some, some worshipped, it says, and some doubted. And then Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given, now go. I want to say, I, I really want to ask us to be reminded this morning, what we do is divine. This isn't a good idea, try some concepts as leaders, read books and try things. This is a God thing. Keep it a God thing, and are we still on His side? 1 Corinthians 3, you know the text? Paul says there's division in the church, and I'm of this guy, and I'm of that guy. It's still rampant today in the church. I like this guy, and I follow that person, and great. And Paul says, who are we? Our so- one waters, one sows. I mean, seed needs to be sown in water, but it's God who brings the increase, right? That's partnering with God. We all have a role to play, but God is the grower. This is a divine thing, not a man-inspired thing. Don't neglect the divine element of what you and I are a part of. Because it gives value and significance to everything we do. It keeps it pure. It keeps it God's. I think when you lose the divine element of what we're a part of, man's needs become more important than God's glory. And that's what's happening in the church. The needs of people are determining our mandate rather than the glory of God. Our strategy becomes a result of human observation rather than divine revelation. Now, I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but I think the church is so busy with the needs of the people and the needs of our city, not necessarily asking God what His divine strategy is. Remember we just read about Jericho? Couldn't have got that from a strategy somewhere. It came from a download from heaven. And I honestly think that the church, in our desire to serve our communities and impact people, we're involved in everything, but it doesn't mean God's in it. <laughs> we got ministries happening that are sinking God's people and sinking the church because we care about people out there. But what about the kingdom of God is what I'm asking. And I'm not telling you what's right and wrong. You've got to find out. But I think most churches just say, well, they churches do that. We better do that. There's a need, and we've got people that come with good hearts who join our local churches and say, hey, there's a real need, and we're like, yeah, we want to serve that. And we end up giving all our resources and all our people into the stuff that's out there by observation. And God's saying, hey, hey, are you on my side still? Are you with me? Because I've got some things I want to do that you can't come up with from clever strategy. <laughs> okay. I don't want to get involved in human observation only. I want divine strategy. I want to know that what we're doing, NCMI, let me tell you, everybody's telling us what we can and can't do, should do, and I'm I'm all ears. But I want to make sure we're not just looking at the needs and saying, there they are, because everywhere we go, there's a need. You know, I love traveling. I mean, it's part of my call. And my wife, when she travels with me, most cities we land in, she doesn't like traveling with me. Of course, I say, gee, babe, we need to plant a church. There's need to be, I can't plant everywhere. How many of you know that? So you're like, Tyron, we've got to go where God wants us, not where there's a need. And I'm like, true. But if you and I care so much, we go where all the needs are, not where God wants us. You can't claim you're with God if you're doing your thing and hoping God's in it. <laughs> all right. You guys are great. Thank you for being nice. And uh, I think the biggest tragedy when we've lost the divine nature of what we're part of is we begin to magnify the minister rather than the master. And that is rampant today in the church. We hear more about these gifts than we do about Jesus. We love this person and that person. I love to honor the gift, but don't magnify the minister at the expense of the master. And that happens when you lose the divine nature of what we're a part of. We begin to look to man and honor man at the expense of the one who gave the gift. See, we get to share in a heavenly calling, friends. That's the point here. We get to partner with God. And when we're partnering with God, we better have big plans. It can't be what can we do, what can we come up with. It's what has God called us to. And are we still living in those moments, the bigness? And I, I want to say, if you're partnering with God, you can't be self-sufficient. Well, this is all we have. Yeah, this is good enough. 
Because God says, bring what you've got and I will take care of the rest. But many of us say, well, if only we had more. God, you know, it's interesting. God never asks for what we don't have. We always have an excuse if we only had more. God says, bring what you've got. And I will use what you've got to f- fulfill my mandate. But many of us just say, well, I don't have enough. If only we had enough. Let me tell you, you'll never have enough. God knows that. And He's not asking for what you don't have. He's saying, bring what we do have. The kingdom is about what we have got and trusting God for what He'll do. So you can't be self-sufficient. You know, I don't think it's self-indulgent mentality that's hurting the church. I I don't believe that. I think it's the self-sufficient mentality, not self-indulgent. I don't think most churches today, honestly, are self-indulgent. They're not all about themselves. They're about the kingdom and the king's business. But the problem is we think we can do it without him. It's not that we're so focused on us. We just want to get on with it without him. <laughs> not because our hearts are wrong. We just got a job to do. Let's get it done. And he's like, yeah, my job. Lean on me. Don't be self-sufficient. Also self-conscious. I say you can't be self-conscious if you're partnering with God. How will this look? Remember Jesus feeding the 5,000? Remember that story? This could have been a real self-conscious moment for Jesus. Gee, Father, if you don't come through, this ain't going to work. And this is a moment we can show them who we really are. He doesn't do that. He looks up and he says, thank you for five loaves and two fish, which is not even enough to feed the disciples, let alone 5,000 men plus women and children. And he looks up and he says, thank you. I wonder when last we thanked him for what we do have. And then he looked up and he said, thank you. And then what happened? He gave it to the disciples. And as the disciples used what they had to feed others, it was there. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. And then it goes on, and there were 12 baskets left over. Interesting that they had five loaves and two fish, which was not enough just for the disciples. Yet after they used it for the glory of God and took what they had to advance and to minister to the people, they had more left over than what they started with. But most of us just want enough to make it through the day. We'll never have enough. Even what you have is not enough. (laughs) And so I love this kingdom understanding. I'm challenged by it. So the vision that lies before us, friends, will always be bigger than the provision that we carry in our pockets. God wants it like that. Because that's kingdom. And I think most of us determine our future based on what we have. Rather than the vision God's called us to will always be greater than the provision we carry. And that's kingdom. So we can talk about kingdom all we want. But these are the understandings of what we're at. Let me say we'll never have enough, but there'll always be enough. Colossians chapter 1, I read it yesterday, last night. Verse 13 says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. We've been saved from and we've been saved into the kingdom. And we talk so much about what we've gotten saved out of. Let's talk about what we've been saved into, the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus was questioned. And he said, don't worry about all the stuff that we worry about, what you'll eat and what you'll wear, which are real questions, right? I meet people all the time. I don't know how we're going to make the next payment. Pastors, and I understand it. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I meet with pastors all the time, and their thing is, gee, man, Tyron, I need God to come through. I say, what for? So they say, we can pay the bills. I don't want to lose the building. No, I need a salary. And they're real friends. And Jesus says, don't worry about the things you're worrying about. But first, seek the kingdom. Like, well, what does that got to do with it? He says, when you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, all the things you worried about will be added to you. But if you focus on the added things, you're never going to fulfill the mandate of heaven and walk in the kingdom. And that's why we've got to understand we're about the king's business. Romans 14, 17, and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So what is the kingdom? Kingdom is the rule and reign of God, as we've said before. And I just want to throw out some signs of the kingdom. And then we're going to look at some points around this, if that's okay. But signs of the kingdom. Number one. The greatest son of the kingdom is the sovereignty of Jesus. We talked a lot about him last night. We make no apologies that he's going to keep being spoken of. 
But the greatest sign of the kingdom of God is the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, is Christ still sovereign in everything? Does He have first place? He's the main sign of the kingdom because He is the King of His kingdom. Another sign of the kingdom is the spreading of the good news, which we talked a little about. Kingdom people tell others about their King. Now, I love the gift of evangelism. I love that we have these guys on our team and they come and share and minister. and they make, We all just want to go and tell people about Jesus. We, we just, but I want to tell you, while their gift is to raise it up, if you and I love Christ, the more we love Jesus, the more we're just going to tell people about Jesus. It's not some strategy. It's not some clever. Just get people in love. I'm in love with my wife. I talk about my wife. I don't need to be reminded, it's Valentine's. You better love your wife today. If I love my wife... I'm going to talk about my wife. Whatever we love, we talk about. And I want to tell you, many of us love ministry and mission, but what about Jesus? So if we actually, the main sign of the kingdom is the king, another sign is the spreading of the good news. We automatically tell people about Jesus because we know this Jesus who we talk about. And there's a lot of talk about contextualization. And I get that. But here's what I want to say. Contextualization is not making the gospel relevant but showing the relevance of the gospel. It's relevant everywhere, even here in Tassie, right here, right now. Do you know that we're in partnership with churches all over the world? And you know, it's hard to count. We don't want to count, but it is hard to count when we literally have churches meeting under trees and in Africa. How do you count that? And then we have churches under in, uh, literally in all Africa, real Africa, not South Africa, Africa, Africa. The real deal, not the one to be the real. <laughs> and then we got churches in Paris, un- literally under the Eiffel Tower. One of my friends planted a church under, he lives within one kilometer. Look out his window and the Eiffel Tower is there. They lead a church in Paris with all the Frenchies and all the nonsense, forgive me you French people, but all the stuff that are anti-God. People are getting saved, this gospel saving French speaking people today. Africa, Asia. Australia, New Zealand, you name it, the United States, even under Donald Trump. This gospel is relevant and saving people all over the world. It doesn't need to be contextualized. It's relevant everywhere because every person, regardless of their upbringing, have this need and desire and vacuum to be made right before God. Signs and wonders are another sign of the, God, of the kingdom. And some of us get very excited now, and others begin to squirm. Here we go. Yes, here we go. Spread. Signs and wonders are a demonstration of the kingdom, friends. And it's not yeah. given to a handful of people, or weird people, or loopy people. It's all God's people. If you kingdom focus, your eyes are on Jesus. One of the things to show the world that Jesus is alive is to bring signs and wonders. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Not the chosen few. All God's people have the responsibility to bring the rule and reign of God. And signs and wonders. Let me tell you, if I can talk you into this kingdom, then someone can talk you out of this kingdom. But when there is a demonstration and there is people, and you know the thing about a demonstration? It erodes people's unwillingness to make a decision. When God demonstrates His presence and power, you have to say, I receive or I reject. You, know, you can't be indifferent. But when I can convince you, and Paul says, I don't come with wise and persuasive words. Otherwise, your, your faith rests on me, my cleverness, rather than the power of God. Friends, I know that there's a weirdness out there, and I get that, and I, I make no apologies. I'm also anti the weird stuff. But God isn't the weird stuff. He's the authentic, and we must and let me tell you, we don't run after signs and wonders. If you do, you've lost your way. Come back. The Bible says signs and wonders should follow us. We don't follow them. In saying that, they better follow us. And I don't know what you've been taught. And I want to tell you, you know, people who teach us good things or bad things, maybe their hearts are wrong, but their theology is right. I mean, their hearts are right, but their theology might be wrong. And I'm just saying, let's just do what the Bible says. 
I've been brought up in all different backgrounds too, and my dad was a Wesleyan pastor and then a Baptist. and Nothing wrong with those, but they were told that tongues is of the devil. You might have heard that. It's not. Huh? Yes, sure. I'm about to help you break free. I, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not even pushing tongues. I've been part of the, I led a church in, in Australia, and there were groups there that were teaching. And guys, I'm not, I'm not mocking. What, I'm just saying people are not comfortable, so we say it's wrong. Well, how about what the Bible says? That's all I'm saying. And you don't have to believe me. You shouldn't believe anyone except the Bible. And if it's in there, then we must pursue it. If it's not, stay away. And then guys used to teach in the city that I lived in and led a church that if you don't speak in tongues, you go to hell. It's a sign of your salvation. So I asked the guy once, Billy Graham, you've heard of him, yes. Billy Graham's led more people to Jesus than anyone I know, yes. So according to you, because Billy Graham didn't believe in some of those things, does he go to hell? Yes, if he doesn't speak in tongues. Now I want to just tell you, you're not going to hell based on your performance because then you're going to the wrong place. You save by believing what Jesus has done. Salvation comes through Jesus, the finished work. In saying that, I believe every believer should speak in tongues. Oh, now you're going to be mad. Yeah. You see these shoes I'm wearing? They're awesome shoes. I like them. I know you probably don't. But when I bought these shoes, I didn't say, hey, I want those shoes, but cut out the tongue. I'm not mocking. I bought these shoes with the tongue. Why? Because they're part of the shoe. And I want to tell you, come in, this thing of speaking in tongues is part of the package of salvation. You don't have to, you get to. And it's not a gift. <laughs> if it's the gift of tongues, a lot of people say, oh, with well, a gift, that means when the tongues are spoken, we need someone to interpret. Yeah, if we're using it as a gift. But speaking in tongues is not a gift, it's part of our salvation. We all get to speak in tongues. And for me, speaking in tongues is building up my faith. It's very hard for me to minister here if I haven't built up my faith. But I don't stand here and offload tongues and then there's interpretation because then that's for you to be built up. But for me, I'll get to build myself up with tongues. And so should you because why would God give me that and not you the ability to do that? Now, I know this is weird and some people are like, oh, we've been taught wrong. Yeah, you've been taught wrong. Well, I've been taught different. You've been taught wrong. Not I'm right, you're wrong. My dad was a Wesleyan pastor. My dad, and again, nothing wrong with that, but he used to wear the dog collars. He called them that. I'm probably getting in such trouble right now. He called that. He was saved. My dad was a radical sinner, and he got saved. He met my mother, and her dad was a Presbyterian, which is great. And he said, if you want to date my daughter, you've got to come to church. So he said, all right, I'll go to church. Never been, not interested. He went, and he heard some man preach. This is his testimony. Didn't know what the guy was saying. It was the most boring thing he's ever heard. But the guy said, someone needs to get saved. If you need to respond, come. He left with my, wife, my mom, and he said to my mom, on the way out, I need to go. I don't know what that man said, but I need to respond. He came, and he said, sir, I'm one of those people. He got on his knees, and he repented, confessed of all sin. He was an alcoholic, he was a, and God delivered him instantly. But now he was told, because you're serving God, you're not allowed to be a business person. Sell all your inheritance. Give away your business. There goes my inheritance, just so you know. <laughs> Give it away, because... God's people can't be rich. So he gave it all away and now wants to serve God. And so he joined the Wesleyan. Now, guys, dog collars, Batman and Robin outfits is what he called it. They were dread. I'm not mocking, but systems of the world. And he was taught if you speak in tongues, you go into hell. It's not just weird. You go to hell. That's hell bound. And he was reading the Bible, thank God. And he was looking through the book of Acts and longing in his parish with his Batman and Robin's outfit on, wishing and longing for what he saw in the Bible, not what he was taught by good people. And while reading through the book of Acts, guess what? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. No one laid hands on him and said, Hawaii, Honolulu, Shabahaba, and teach you how to teach it. I understand why people are freaked out by tongues, because we're faking it and making it natural when it's supernatural. I've been in meetings, say this after me, Hawaii, Honolulu, Suzuki, Yamaha. I'm not mocking, it's nonsense. You can't teach someone a language that you can only get from heaven. So I understand, because I'm like you, I don't want the weird. Give me the authentic or nothing. 
But the problem is when we go that way, we get up with nothing because everything we're not comfortable with. So he's reading. Filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak in tongues. Now you've got to understand, not just weird, going to hell. So he phones his moderator, whatever they call him. Forgive me, I don't know. I was freed of all that stuff. And he said, I need to talk to you because he's a man of integrity. So the moderator comes to see him. He says, you got to know this. <laughs> I spoke in tongues today. The moderator said, well, if you're willing to sign a document that you'll never do that again. <laughs> I'm not mocking. Then we'll just pretend it never happened. I mean... Do you understand? God did something that no man can stop. My dad said, honestly, I can't do that. And then he said, secondly, tell me why I'm wearing this. I'm not trying to mock, but where's this in the Bible? And they, they, my people call me Reverend Dudley. Where's that in the Bible? And he began to challenge a whole lot of stuff because suddenly his eyes were opened. Not in rebellion, in authenticity. And you know the most tragic thing about the story, friends, and I don't know, the heart of those men, I'm sure was good. I don't even know the man. I've never met it. But this is what the man said to my dad. He said, Dudley, you know, you're right. But my pension's coming up in a year's time, and I'm not willing to tell this denomination that, I'm wrong, that they're wrong because I want my pension. And that was for my dad where he ripped up that piece of paper and said, I cannot be a part of this thing anymore. Why? Because you care more what people think than what God says. I praise God I was born into a family where my dad said, if it's in the Bible, boy, it's God. If it's not, stay away. So I'm not here to convince anyone because actually at the end of the day, it's your conviction, your faith. But I want to tell you, don't allow your upbringing, good or bad, to determine what God has said. Because in this kingdom understanding, what we believe determines a lot of what others are going to believe. And we better believe right. Not what I say, what God says. And I realize it's weird, and I realize that some of us are not comfortable with this, and I'm not comfortable with it, but I've never had a problem with it because I've never had to fight that battle. And I'm gracious. I really am trying to be gracious because if it's hard for some young guy to stand up and tell you the stuff you've been taught was wrong, but it's not because their hearts are wrong. I'm asking, is their theology wrong from what God intended? Don't fight me on it. Live in the freedom. I, I, I want everything that God's got. I don't want to, this stuff I'm not comfortable with. I'm just telling you, there's a lot I'm not comfortable with. Especially if I'm serving God. Because remember we talk about not being self-conscious. Can't be self-conscious if you're partnering with God. There's stuff that happens that I'm not comfortable with. But I want to say, if it's in the Bible, we fix it. If it's not, we address it. Not put people out, just say, let's get back to the Word of God. We've got to agree on that. Otherwise, what can we agree on? We're on this journey in God for signs and wonders and miracles. Friends, it's part of the mandate. Can't talk about it. Can't say it happened in the Bible, but it's not here for today. Well, how can God expect of the church today what He expects of the early church? But by the way, I'm taking the Holy Spirit away from you. How many of you, we don't need more flesh in the church. We need more spirit. He's not saying, hey, I'm taking away spirit so you guys can do your fleshy thing. It's like, ah, the spirit needs to give birth to spirit. And uh, we have to stop in a few moments. But I've got a, a few sons, as you can tell. And I've got a, my youngest son. And when he turned one, we were like, we know this is our last child. Right? Three sons is more than enough for me. I've, and so, full quiver, yeah, for me. And uh, so we were like, ah, oh, we're going to bless our boy on his, on his first birthday. So we brought him this gift and we wrapped up this gift and we gave it to Jude. And you know what's amazing about Judy? He unwrapped the gift, but he was so enamored with the wrapping paper, he didn't care about the gift. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you've got a one-year-old, don't buy them a gift. Just give them reams of wrapping paper. They will be so happy. <laughs> the next year, we kind of downscale a little, and we blessed him, and we wrapped it up, and he, began, he opened it, and he loved the gift. And I was like, oh, my boy. He's becoming a man. <laughs> He's growing up. Why? Because he's not enamored by the wrapping paper. He just wanted the gift. I think it's immaturity. When we so tell God what he can do and how he can come. And if it's not like this, tongues of fire. Then we get in trouble again. 
We all look at Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came, and He did come, and He doesn't need to come again. We don't need another Pentecost. Pentecost happened. <laughs> it happened, Acts 2. If you don't believe that, what can you believe in the Bible? The church was birthed in power. We sang that this morning. The Spirit lit the flame. The Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, right? While they were worshipping, the Holy Spirit came. And it said that what seemed to be tongues of fire. It wasn't tongues of fire. It's the best description. So now people today, if there's not tongues of fire on your head, it's not the Holy Spirit. That's called wrapping paper enamored, missing the gift that God is providing. Tongues is another sign, but it's not this sign. Falling backwards, falling forward. I don't know. When I see scripture, most people fell forward. But anyway, if you fall back, that's your thing. But you don't have to fall back. So we have line up and pushing and squeezing and falling and all the nonsense. And anyone who's got half a brain goes, this is weird. Yes, it is weird. And it's not God. I'm trying, sir. In saying that, that can happen. And it can be God. But when we make a manifestation how God has to be, we're demanding God to be what we want Him rather than God being God. So it's immaturity to reject it and immaturity to force it. You're both immature. How about we don't get so enamored with wrapping paper, we're missing the gift. I don't care how He comes as long as He comes. And that means sometimes we have Holy Spirit moments where He downloads and does something. And you know this song, I love the keyboard, I've got to tell you. But the Holy Spirit doesn't need the keyboard to operate. Uh, fancy that. Oh, hang on. I'm God and I want to show up. Get the Holy Spirit. Get that right key that works. No, friends. That's our hearts. It's not the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh, oh. Or oh, oh, we... We have a moment on a, in a meeting and a song, and now we suddenly say, that song's anointed. Get that song for the Spirit to show up. We, we start formalizing what God's trying to do. And there are times when God shows up and nobody falls over, and I've been more impacted by God just showing up where I haven't rattled, rolled, fallen, laughed, screamed. There are other times I'm like never going to fall, and boom, before I know. Why? Because I just want authenticity. But it can't be the same way every time. And if it is, then we're formulators and manufacturers rather than it's God being God. And I wonder where we're at on all of this. <laughs> One of the most challenging but sane verses for what God's called us to is looking at the life of Jesus. It's one of the points I'm trying to get to. We pattern our lives around Christ. See, I've got people on this team, again, friends, God-given with giftings and graces that are so leaning on the... I mean, they, we've got all sorts. I mean, I'm talking all sorts. Weird people compared to me. When I sit with them, I'm like, you weird, dude. But God wants you... Seriously, your gift is weird. The stuff you say, pff, I'm not sure I agree with. I would like you to show me in the Bible, then we can agree. But in saying that, I think if we do what Jesus did, we're going to be okay. Yeah. So people say, well, what, are your, what is your opinion about this? I don't have one. My opinions are irrelevant. We need revelation from conviction from God's Word. So my thing is, well, what did Jesus do and what did He say? I pretty much think if it's in red, we're good. <laughs> God's not going to say, oh, why did you do something like Jesus? Jesus came as our model. He came as the pattern for us to live life and ministry. So if He did it, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Because He actually said, the things you've seen me do, you'll do. And even greater. There's a safetyness about what Jesus did. And the one verse, and i land with this. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and bringing healing and wholeness to those who are around because God was with Him. God anointed Jesus. Pause for a moment. Sorry, Russ, I have to. I can't leave it here. I've just got to. I can't. I need you to please hear this. And so I, I'm ignorant of you guys, so please hear my heart. You cannot be anointed by a man. 
Russ used the illustration this morning. If I, let's say, am an apostle, I don't know what I am. But if I am and I lay my hands on you, give you what I got, God made me who I am. I can't make Russ who I am. So we got people flying all over the world, and I love it. The Western culture now, we're so hungry for the Word of God, hungry for His presence, that we're paying money to fly to different conferences to catch that anointed to bring back to Tasmania. Sounds awesome, but it's not biblical. And I believe you can lay hands on. I can lay hands on this man and say, I give you what I've got. And what I'm actually saying is I stir in you what you already have. Are you there? So I'm all for laying hands. We're ordaining an elder tomorrow, apparently. I don't know if it's public, but uh, I, I'm not. I'm going to lay hands on these guys and not give them what I got. Stir in them what God's already given them. They're not me, and I'm not them. I, I was listening to Ronald Bonke. You've heard of him? Uh, in America, 8,000 Americans showed up, paid money. My country, my people paid money to go to this conference to get his anointing. 8,000 people paid hundreds. I didn't pay. I was invited, so I went. And he stands up and he says, you all here for my anointing. He said, I'm not going to do that. We <laughs> Americans, I want my money back. <laughs> and this is what he said, I'll never forget. He said, God is a creator God, not a duplicator God. God doesn't give you what He's given to someone else. He gives you what He's called you to. And so I do believe in laying hands, but God anoints. Man appoints, but God anoints. And most times, and Russ and I have had this convo many times in church together, that most times in the laying of hands is a commissioning to the call of the, the God doing something in that life for the call. Laying hands on the sick is not the same thing. I'm talking about, it's scripturally, it's the commissioning into the call, and we're stirring in them what God's already given. Are you there, friends? Now, you don't have to agree with me, but Jesus, God anointed Jesus. God anoints us. And we can lay hands, but let God be your anointed. Don't be a duplicator person trying to catch someone else's something. Stop buying anointings. You can't buy anointings. And Honestly, it's insane. I love the heart, but we're getting messed up because we don't know the word. We need sanity in an insane subject because we need more of His presence, but we better keep it real. Model your life around Christ. God anointed who? Jesus of Nazareth. Speaking of His humanity. If you said Jesus of heaven, we'd all be done. Jesus of Nazareth speaks of His humanity. Who does God anoint? People. Who's a pe people here? Put your hand up. All of us. The anointing is not this weird thing that floats to and fro and we suck it and breathe it in and sell it and bottle it and buy it and buy shower caps and all that. No, I'm serious. It's weird. The anointing is the Holy Spirit's enabling for us to do what He called us to. Who doesn't need that? The Holy Spirit's enabling to do what He called us to do. That's the anointing. We all need it for whatever we're doing. Business, ministry, life, marriage. Let me tell you, I need to be anointed to husband my wife. I don't need a book telling me she's from Jupiter and I'm from Mars or whatever. Then I am different to her. She opens her mouth, I can tell we're different. I look at her. We, I don't need a book saying she's different. I need the anointing. Not some guy who had a good marriage. I need to know in God how to husband this wife of mine. And she needs to know. I, my three sons, and they're all different. I don't need a book on how to raise my sons. Because the person who wrote, wrote that probably didn't even have kids. And if he did or she did, they're not the kids I've got. I'm not saying we can't learn from others. Are you with me? But I am saying, get the Holy Spirit. Let Him anoint me for my job. Business people, let the anointing show you what to do. Preaching, whatever we're involved in, it's the anointed. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, people, with the Holy Spirit, not some freaky thing, with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went about doing good, not feeling good. Not having Holy Spirit meetings. Doing good. This region needs the church doing good, but not in the church's strength, in the anointing. And bringing healing. To all those who are under the oppression of the devil, oppressed people, they everywhere. We've been the anointing to break the yoke. It says because God was with them. How much evidence is 
that God is with us. Not because we put it on our signs and sing it, because the anointing is the proof God's with us. <laughs> signs and wonders and miracles are part of the package. We can reject it or we can live in, okay, Lord, I don't want to get enamored with the wrapping paper. I want the gift. I don't know where you stand in all of this, but I trust that if we're kingdom people, we'll get back to what the Bible says. Not what a man or your history, what the Bible says. If what I'm saying is wrong, don't do it from the Bible. If it's in there, what are we going to do with it? Let's pray together. Father, we want to be part of what you're doing. Not you with us, we with you. Which means we want nothing to stop, get in the way. Our upbringing, our understanding, our experience, good or bad, we want you to be God in it all. So I just pray for me and for us this morning, in this room, that we would contend for the truth, the word. Your word is truth. Not what we're comfortable with, what you've called us to. We won't lose our way in this time, but we'll stick to the kingdom business of making much of you, Jesus, showing the world that you're alive and well. So help us, Lord, I pray. Free us this morning to be who you've called us to be. Adjust our thinking. Change our upbringing, whatever it be. Not that they're wrong and we're right. We want to be biblical. We want to reflect you on this planet to these people. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.